college football is right around the corner. And one of the matchups that everyone has circled is Colorado at TCU. I'm going to talk about that and more on today's episode of Locked on Buffs. You are Locked on Buffs, your daily podcast on the Colorado Buffaloes. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? This is Locked on Bus. I'm your host, Kevin Borba. Today's episode, we got special special guest, excuse me, Jamie Plunkett, who covers TCU for the Horn Frog Blitz and for 24-7 Sports. Jamie, how you doing? Man, Kevin, I'm doing great. Football is right around the corner. We've been waiting for so long, and it, it's about time to see some people hit some people. I know. Believe it or not, um, this whole offseason, we've been talking about expansion, realignment, media rights deals. There is a sport that will be taking place <laughs> pretty soon. Um, August 26th, I think there are some games... Up- officially happening so that's exciting on today's episode we're gonna be talking about the tcu matchup for colorado and tcu from both perspectives we're gonna talk about what's changed for each team and then we're gonna talk about the big 12 landscape so without further ado let's dive right into this game um to give some context colorado is currently 20 and a half point underdogs tcu 20 and a half point favorites and the game is in dallas Uh, tcu is obviously coming off of arguably their best season maybe in program history or one of their best seasons in program history and they made it to the playoff the um, they made it to the championship, lost to Georgia. Um, talk about the matchup and how you see it happening um, or what you see from TCU's perspective. You know, I think this is an opportunity for for TCU to get off on the right foot in the 2023 season and start to maybe get some of the bad taste of what happened in that national championship game out of their mouth. You know, you mentioned it, it was one of the best seasons in TCU history, and it definitely didn't end the way any Horn Frog fans wanted it to with the biggest blowout in national championship history. So, um I think this is their since this is their first opportunity to get back on the field and hit an opponent since that game. They're going to be really amped up for it. They've got a lot riding on this game as well. It's their biggest non-conference game this year. Obviously, Dion and all of the storylines that are surrounding Colorado add a little bit of extra hype. It's going to be on Fox. It's big noon kickoff. It's all of the things that you're looking for in a big non-conference matchup in week one of college football season. So uh, I think from a TCU perspective, there's a lot of hope there. There's a lot of opportunity to maybe move forward from that that foul taste of the national championship game left. And it's an opportunity too to, to kick off the campaign that says, hey, this wasn't a one-hit wonder situation. TCU is here to play big boy football for a long time to come. Okay. Um, one of the things that I think changed from last season to this season for TCU specifically um, is the quarterback situation. Obviously, Chandler Morris was uh, the unanimous winner, it felt like, coming out of uh, fall and spring camp. Um, he just, based off reports and just the vibes from TCU, he just looked better than Max Duggan. And then when push came to shove, he kind of struggled and then got injured. And then Max Duggan took over and never looked back. What does this team look like now? Obviously, we're going to go over what's changed. So don't dive into all of the the changes. But what is this team kind of how do they build off that with so many different people? You know, I think the fact that Chandler had the experience of winning a, a competition in fall camp last fall helped him this fall. You know, we saw him last year when, you know, I think it was it was around the Oklahoma game when Chandler was healthy again. Max had started the last few games. TCU was kind of clicking on offense. And I think that was when he and the rest of the the fan base started to realize, oh, Chandler's probably not going to get this job back this year. And from that point forward, he was the consummate teammate. He was an excellent leader in the locker room. He did everything he could to support Max and help Max out in game prep week to week. 
um, was on the, was on the sidelines. You could see him on the iPad with Max, like figuring things out, breaking down coverages. All that he was he was doing everything he possibly could to help the team win. And that's something that you want to see from a quarterback when they go through what Chandler went through last year, winning the job, losing it to an injury, and then just never being able to get back out on the field again. Um, and I think he brings that experience into a season where now he's ready to show that, hey, I won the job last year. I can be the guy that runs this offense and leads this team. Uh, and he's got another year of, of anticipation ready to, to kind of let that loose. Gotcha. Okay, one of the things that interests me the most, and I think this is, um, well, I, I mentioned earlier, Colorado's 20 and a half point underdogs. Um, obviously TCU comes in as they're going to be a, probably a top 20 team. I believe they are 17th or around there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to come in ranked. Um, they have some confidence from last year, even though it didn't end how they wanted. Um, the program is trending in the right direction. Uh, Sonny Dykes though made interesting comments the other day with on threes, Andy Staples and talking about how he prepares for this Colorado team. Um, I've kind of talked about it a few times on my show where I've basically said he has to look at Kent state offense he has to look at Alabama's defense, and then he kind of has to pick which players he thinks will probably probably be standout players and just fit, find their film from other schools. Can you maybe provide some insight on what that process is? Yeah, they're definitely stitching together a lot of a lot of film from different places. I'm sure they're watching the YouTube series that Colorado's been rolling out all fall camp too to try and get any kind of information that they can. You know, it's it's one of those situations where it's really unique. Not only is it the first game of the season for both teams, but it's also, hey, this is a beyond coaching staff, right? This is a completely different Colorado program than a season ago. I think you guys replaced what 70 plus guys mm-hmm. on the roster from a scholarship perspective. And so He's, he's probably watching tons of film from some of these guys that transferred in from wherever it might have been, not just Kent State and Bama and Jackson State, um, to try and figure out what the game plan can be for Colorado. I think another thing, though, that is going to really help TCU in game one and beyond that is the fact that you're in year two of Sunny Dykes. So yeah. there's an established culture. There's an understanding of what practice is supposed to look like. There's an expectation of what players are supposed to do on and off the field, how they're supposed to take care of themselves. All of the kind of expectations that you're learning and kind of going through in year one, that's established now. So I think there's a level of comfortability for TCU that says, hey, you know, whoever we're playing on any given Saturday, we know what's expected of us. We know what the standard is for us. And we know how to go out and execute our game plan. So as much film as they're going to be watching from a variety of different places and as ready as they're going to try and be for, for what Colorado throws at them, TCU is also coming from a place of understanding of, hey, we know what the winning formula is for us. And now let's go out and execute that. Okay. I have one final question before we move on to what has changed for each program. Um, you hear 20 and a half point favorites. Um, I wrote about it today over at Athlon. You guys can go check it out. Um, ESPN's Mark Schallback said that TCU might hang half a hundred on them. So 50 points on Colorado. What do you think when you see these large discrepancies? Some people think it's going to be close. And then obviously the odds makers who little mystical powers, I think they have sometimes they're a little too close for comfort sometimes. What do you think when you see it's going to be a blowout or a close game. I'd certainly love to have the odds makers crystal ball for a game like this. I, you know, <laughs> I, it, it could go a ton of different ways for sure. Um, I think that just compared to where the programs are currently, I mean, it makes sense that TCU is such a big favorite. When you look at all of the things that TCU is trying to replace from a roster standpoint, when you look at the transition that Colorado's going through, I think it creates a lot of uh, gray area where you're just, you're just not sure 
what this game is going to look like, who's going to end up stepping up for either team. But I think the foundation that TCU is working off of versus the foundation that Colorado is working off of feels like it gives TCU the advantage, at least at this point. Now, how that bears out on the field, you have no idea, but I, I, I think it's reasonable for TCU fans to be fairly confident. And I think it's reasonable for the odds makers and, and everybody who's trying to make a prediction about this game to kind of land where they have so far. Okay. That seems fair. I mean, I keep saying it on this podcast and I feel like people get annoyed, but like my, the best analysis I could give is we have to wait and see because we really don't know. And people are like, we need some insight. I'm like, when there's that many new players and there's that there's new players for both teams. And obviously there's a lot of new players for TCU on offense and there's new players everywhere for Colorado. So um, there's a lot to wait and see about. And unfortunately, until we see something happen on the field, that is the only insight we could provide. Um, before we move on, I want you guys to know that this episode of Lock on Bus is brought to you by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a per- perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part fits just right and for the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know if the part will fit or not or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game. And when you shop on eBay Motors with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. So you get those right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay, guaranteed fit only to a U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Excuse me. Wow, excuse me. Exclusions apply. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. That was a tough one to get out there. Okay, we're diving back in. Um, we're talking about what's changed for both teams. Um, one of the things I want to focus on the most is kind of, which is kind of, when I look at this game from a positive perspective for Colorado, um, I look at Chandler Moore starting. Um, obviously, um, I funny enough, I wrote the preview for TCU for Athlon. So I kind of did a deep dive into TCU. So they lost few receivers, the running backs, a couple offense linemen, the quarterback, obviously. But the one that stands out to me the most is the quarterback, especially since we saw him play against this bad Colorado team last year, the one in 11 team. What has changed for this TCU team personnel wise, confidence wise, and maybe just um, vibes wise, if you will? <laughs> yeah, I, I, pretty much everything, I think, from an offensive standpoint has changed for TCU. It, and it starts with the fact that Garrett Riley, the offensive coordinator last year, has left and he's the OC at Clemson now. So mm-hmm. Sonny goes out and he finds Kendall Bryles at Arkansas, brings Kendall in to run this offense. And he's also the associate head coach, gives him a lot of responsibilities right out of the gate as he steps on ca- on campus. And he got to hear he got to Fort Worth in in like mid-February, early February. So he hit the ground running. They got spring practice up and going about a month after he arrived on campus. And from spring to now, what we've seen from this offense is a lot more confidence, a lot more comfort running this Kendall Bryles system. Um, It still obviously has a lot of look and feel uh, to a Sonny Dykes offense. You got a lot of four wide. You got a lot of guys going a lot of different places, a lot of pre-snap motion, that kind of stuff. But this is Kendall's offense, and he's trying to establish something a little bit differently than Garrett Riley did in 2022. 
And so when you start to talk about personnel, um, well, TCU has the personnel to run this offense because they have a lot of depth at wide receiver, despite losing guys like Quentin Johnston and Darius Davis. They have some decent depth at running back. Uh, they got Trey Sanders in the transfer portal from Alabama. Jojo Earl, a wide receiver from Bama, came in as well, as well as John Paul Richardson, uh, one of the best receivers on Oklahoma State's roster last year, right? And so you've you've lost a lot of talent. You've also brought in a lot of talent from the transfer portal, which has been a point of emphasis for Sonny Dykes since he got here at TCU. Um, and so you kind of mix all that together. And what we saw throughout fall camp was an offense that was clearly still learning, but obviously gaining confidence. And uh, they were getting confidence in the scheme. They were getting confidence in each other, executing what they were supposed to execute on any given play, gaining confidence in their coaches and, and in their OC. Um, and so I'm really excited to see what that looks like when they finally hit the field on a Saturday, um, because they've been gaining some steam against this really experienced TCU defense all of fall camp. And now it's time to say, okay, was that just because they were playing the same guys and they were figuring out the three, three, five from Joe Gillespie, or is that because they're actually, you know, growing into what this offense can potentially be? Yeah. I think the offense is definitely interesting because there's so many different changes you'd expect there to be kind of a, a learning curve. Um, do you think that learning curve is going to be big? And then talk about the defense a little bit, because one of the things I noticed when I did my deep dive was that they lost two guys that combined for about 55 ish, 60% of their sacks. Um, so what does that defense look like now um, compared to last year? And does it improve? Because obviously there was some major flaws as we saw um, against Georgia, which everybody had flaws against Georgia. So but, it's no, no shot against TCU. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that, you know, I think, you know, first and foremost, you, we walked into the locker room after the national championship game and you could just see on a couple guys' faces that that was a, not how they expected it to go. And B, I think they realized that there was, you know, even a, a higher level of college football being played that they hadn't encountered yet that season. Mm. You know, I mean, they, they went down to Austin and they beat Texas on, on a Saturday night. Didn't didn't allow the Longhorns to score a touchdown. They, great game. That was a great game. They hung 50 on Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl, right? Like they had played some really quality programs and come out on top. But then that Georgia team was just a whole different ball game altogether. And so. Uh, defensively, I think what they came into this spring and fall looking forward to was a year of Joe Gillespie's defense under their belt, a, a very clear understanding of where maybe some of the flaws in the system were. And, okay, now we understand where our strengths are, where our weaknesses are. Let's work on and making those weaknesses some more strengths. And so throughout the spring and fall, we've seen them get faster. We've seen them get more confident. We've seen Gillespie start to kind of go deeper and deeper into his defensive play calling a little bit more um, and just giving more to this defensive unit that despite losing D winners and Dylan Horton has mm. a tremendous amount of experience coming back. I mean, you've got a fifth year senior in, um, Josh Newton, who's a gun, who in my mind could very well be a Thorpe finalist at the end of the year. You return every single starting safety off of last year's team. You get a, an experienced transfer in the portal from Florida cornerback Avery Helm. Uh, and then you move another guy who played a lot of safety for you into that D winners linebacker role this year in Namdi Obiezor, who has really taken to that role nicely, gained some good weight this offseason, and has the ability to do a lot of the same things that D winners did. Um, so I think you talk about the back portion of this TCU defense. It's going to be one of the strengths of the team, and it's probably going to be one of the best secondaries in the Big 12 for sure. The defensive line is where the question marks are because you've got Dominic Williams coming back. You bring in a couple freshmen who might be able to contribute a little bit, but the depth there is not nearly as strong as the depth in other places on this team. So 
It's a defense that I think will be decent against the run, will be much better this year than it was last year against the pass. And uh, there, there's an opportunity for the defense to maybe carry a lot of this team's water while the offense is still kind of working out some of the kinks and, and trying to get up to speed a little bit. Okay, before I dive into a matchup that interests me the most in this game, um, the two-part Ultimate College Football Preview is live on Locked On Pac-12. Um, all the Pac-12 podcasts got together and we talked about everything that we could expect in this upcoming season of what will be the probably the best and final season of Pac-12 play. Um, so it's available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. I'm part of the Locked On Podcast Network, um, your team every day. So go check that out. Um, you mentioned the defense line, and that's kind of the the matchup I've circled. Um, Colorado's offense line versus TCU's defense line. Colorado's offense line is kind of the weakest unit, I would say, right now. Um, there hasn't really been many positive reports. It's kind of they have a couple returning guys, but a lot of these guys started at FCS programs like Kent or not Kent State, but um, Montana State. They started at Kent State. They, there's just a hodgepodge of guys to say the least. And so we don't really know how good that the offense can be. Um, they got great weapons all over the place, but the offense line is kind of if you got a bad one, it doesn't matter how good your weapons are because your quarterback needs time to get the ball off. And so talk about the matchup in the trenches because I think last year it was kind of a, a mismatch as well, but this year it could it be more even, or do you think that TCU um, secondary and linebacker group can kind of make up for the inexperience? I think, I think the the last point you just made the secondary and the, the linebacking unit making up for a little bit of the defensive line inexperience is going to be really big for TCU, but you also have some just raw talent on that TCU defensive line that we just don't know really what it is quite yet. Uh, we, we know what Dom Williams is. He's a known commodity at this point. He played most of last year as a true freshman, as a 17-year-old, and was commanding double teams right out of the gate against Colorado because of his size and his ability at that nose tackle spot. So he's a guy that's kind of a known commodity. You bring back a defensive end in Caleb Fox, who put on some good weight this year, uh, hoping to get some big things out of him. We'll see how he plays at the edge. And then you've got some younger guys too. There's a true freshman, another true freshman nose tackle who's primed to get some really, really significant playing time. His name's Marcus Deal from Garland. He's about 40 miles away from uh, TCU is where he grew up. He was a four-star kid in Texas uh, who has played a lot of nose tackle this fall and a lot of right edge this fall as well. So there's an opportunity to get a couple 315, 320-pound defensive linemen out there against some of these Colorado offensive linemen who are a little bit undersized, comparatively speaking. Uh, and then you've got another defensive end in Paul Oyewale, who the coaching staff absolutely loves. He's a sophomore this year. I saw him in person for the first time this fall after you know not seeing him since the spring, and he he's huge. He, I'm 6'3", and I was craning my neck to look up at this kid. Uh, he's 19 years old. He's like 6'6", 265-pound defensive edge, who they're really expecting a lot out of this year. So he's a guy to watch as well, number 97, Paul Oyewale. But um, again, it's one of those things where just all of the all of the things that happened this offseason with however many guys Colorado had transferring in on the line, plus the inexperience and the youth of TCU on the defensive line. I agree with you. I think it's a big matchup to watch. I have no idea how that's going to work out for either team at this point, but it will be a key factor because, like you said, if the offensive line isn't going, the whole offense isn't going to go either. Yeah, I think the mat that matchup kind of stands out to me. And obviously, we just talked about if they struggle, it makes it tough on the offense. And I think I wonder if the speed of the offense for Colorado will um, pose any issues for TCU. Obviously, the Big 12 was always known for offense. Um, I think they've gotten better at defense, but people like to push that Big 12 doesn't play defense narrative. So we're going to pretend that's still a thing. Um, <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, I think Colorado's speed will kind of make up for 
maybe what they lack in, I guess, skill or talent on the offensive line. And then they just have weapons all over the place. And I think Shadur Sanders going up against a defense like TCU would obviously be his first power five defense that he's faced. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how his skill set, his skill set translates. Um, we saw it in the spring game. Um, he likes to throw to Travis Hunter and he likes to show off his arm. And so I'm curious to see how often he tests this veteran secondary who maybe will kind of try to bait him into throws because he has a huge arm. Um, one of his coaches who used to coach in Nevada compared his arm to Carson Strong. And if you if you didn't watch any uh, Mountain West beyond after dark, like Mountain West at like 11 p.m., <laughs> yeah. Carson Strong could huck that thing. So that's pretty high praise for his arm. Do, do you have any insight on how they're preparing for Shadur? Uh, I think they're just they're they're preparing like they do for any of the Big 12 quarterbacks that they see this year and and saw last year. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there are a lot of good quarterbacks in this league. Shadur Sanders is uh, going to be another one next year when Colorado joins the Big 12 officially. And uh, they're definitely not taking him lightly. You know, I mean, what he did at Jackson State um, last season, uh, that's that's significant, you know, playing time against really good competition. And so they're not taking him lightly. They're they're getting their guys ready to go, um, but at the same time, the secondary they've heard the narratives around Dion, they've heard the narratives around Shadur Sanders, and they want to remind folks how good they are. And so I'm really excited to see what you know that, that Josh Newton Travis Hunter matchup is going to be one heck of a, a battle between a really good receiver and a and in a, a very very good cornerback. Um, what TCU does in their secondary won't necessarily change because they're playing Shitter Sanders, but uh, it will be a tough battle on the field for sure. Okay. You, you don't have to go into a lot of depth on this question because I don't want to get you in any sort of trouble or anything, but do you think there's extra motivation to beat Colorado because of Deion Sanders' presence? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. Uh, Probably a little bit because Dion is Dion, right? Mm-hmm. And and he attracts a lot of attention wherever he goes. Plus, I mean, you're playing a football game in DFW, and Dion's a pretty right. well known commodity down here. Right. Uh, I mean, I had a Dion jersey growing up because I'm a huge Cowboys fan, right? And so, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of folks down here love Dion Sanders. A lot of these kids, though, are are a little bit too young to really remember Dion from his playing days. They know him more as Coach Prime, mm-hmm. and uh, even in that instance you know these guys right he's coached he's coached a lot of them he knows a lot of them he's recruited a lot of them um and they they want to beat him right they want to win they want to beat coach prime they want to welcome him to the power five they want to welcome him to the big 12 in a way and uh there's definitely a little bit of extra motivation there from a player standpoint from a coaching standpoint i think it's game one you want to see what you've got out there on the field and uh you know, you're more concerned with how your team looks than the guy who's wearing the headset on the other sideline, I think. Yeah, I think I talked about on yesterday's episode, um, specifically the fans and maybe the players as well. Um, you either love Dion or you love to hate him. And so <laughs> I think we're going to see that a lot this year. Um, if Colorado wins, it wouldn't surprise me if they jump into the top 25, uh, maybe like towards the bottom. And if they lose, it wouldn't shock me if they go viral and people are kind of tweeting how he's a failure already. And so um, it's going to be an interesting experience. Um, before we dive back into our last topic, which is the Big 12 um, jump, I need you guys to know that this episode is also brought to you by BetterHelp. Um, this show, this episode of Locked on Bus is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you are some or someone you know um, is someone who needs a little help and guidance of going right down the right path, whether it's relationships, school, career, um, BetterHelp is the place to do it. Um, if, you've been, if you've benefited from therapy, then you know that talking to someone, guiding you through the process can help you um, a ton. So 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnCollege today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash LockedOnCollege. Um, all of it's online. You find the perfect therapist for you. Um, you can change your therapist, no charge added. So go check that out. Okay, Jamie, um, realignment happened. We all know about it. I've been writing about it for months as someone who covers the Pac-12. <laughs> um, and I'm still writing about it because it's still not done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It has been ongoing, but for the Big 12, it is pretty much done for now. Um, we'll put on an ice. We'll just tuck it away for now. Um, but talk about Colorado's fit in the Big 12 again um, because they were once in it um, and talk about what the jump is or maybe possible rivalry, maybe Colorado TCU. They played the past two years. They might end up playing each other again moving forward. Um, talk about all of that. So I think it, uh, from a realignment standpoint, Chaos is chaos and, and TV money is TV money. And, and at this point, we all understand, I think, pretty clearly what drives a, a team like Colorado to jump from the Pac-12 back into the Big 12, um, where they have a lot of those natural rivalries, right? They're going to get to play Oklahoma State, Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State again for the first time in a long time, which I'm really looking forward to those rivalries getting rekindled to an extent. I'm, I'm get, looking forward to, you know, I mean, Texas Tech has only played four teams in the current big 12 more than they've played Arizona because those teams were in a conference together for so long in the border conference from like 1932 to the late 50s or something like that. Um, so it's really cool to see some of this realignment bring back some older traditional rivalries that we lost along the way. Mm. Um, and, and for Colorado specifically, you know, they obviously were never in the big 12 at the same time as TCU, but we understand how important the state of Texas is to Colorado and so you know they're going to take those games against Texas teams very seriously. They, I don't know that they'll necessarily have more motivation to win those games, but they're going to take those games really seriously because that's such a fertile recruiting ground for so many schools outside of the state. Uh, and so you know as TCU that you're always going to get Colorado's best shot. You don't want to lose conference games to Colorado. You don't want to lose conference games to, to one of the newcomers like TCU you know, beat so many big 12 teams when they were the newcomer and every kind of frustrated everybody rubbed them the wrong way. Um, and so I'm, I mean, I'm looking forward to Colorado being in the conference. I grew up in DFW. I remember very clearly Colorado being a member of the big 12, um, you know, and so I'm looking forward to, to what they bring to the big 12, not only from a football standpoint, from, uh, you know, just a, a hype standpoint with Dion, seeing some of the other sports, maybe get some life injected back into them. Um, and, uh, I, I think it's, I think it's good for the big 12 now on the PAC 12 side of things, obviously it's really disappointing to see a conference go by the wayside. That's meant so much to an entire coast for mm. the last hundred years. Um, it's disappointing that it's come to this in a lot of ways. Um, and I hope that this, the remaining four schools find some semblance of a landing spot. Uh, but that's just kind of the nature of the beast at this point. And, Brett Yormark did a, an excellent job of getting ahead of things from a Big 12 standpoint, of getting the contract signed for a media rights deal, of getting you know the four teams prior to the four corner schools acclimated to the conference really well, and then being uh, you know continually aggressive not only in a realignment, um, not only from a realignment standpoint, but also just from a hey, here's what we're going to do with our media rights deal the next time because he's already starting to set the table for what's going to come in, in 2030. So uh, mm-hmm. it's it's been really interesting to, to kind of watch all fall out like it has. Um, but ultimately, I think Colorado and the Big 12 are, are going to be a really fun partnership that's going to benefit both parties. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the Pac-12 and how sad it is because 
I have, I have a soft spot for the Pac-12. That was my first employer out of school. Yeah. Um, I worked okay. on the Pac-12, the Pac-12 networks. And so very disappointed to see all those talented people um, likely be unemployed by this time of next year. Um, but for Colorado in the Big 12 to kind of take a, take a perspective from the Pac-12, they never really fit. Um, I think the biggest argument against Colorado going back to the Big 12 was the alumni base was a lot of Pac-12 areas, California, Arizona, and all that. Um, and then they recruit well in California. Um, they kind of have always attracted well to the West Coast. It's just they never really fit. They didn't find success. They never really had a rival. Um, and they kind of, I think it didn't help that they had a lot of coaching issues and a lot of um, issues with the higher ups throughout the years, they just now started to be able to use the transfer portal and it's working um, in terms of mm-hmm. hypothetically. And obviously we see the roster building, but I think Colorado and the big 12 one, I think Colorado and TCU both have a chance to kind of supplant themselves as the face of the conference, as well as Utah. Um, I think if everything goes well for Colorado, obviously they're not going to be the face if they continue to struggle, but if, if coach prime leads this team to success, um, I think Colorado could kind of, um, cement themselves as one of the premier teams in the Big 12 because right now I would say, and you could totally jump on and disagree if you if you do, but the Big 12 is up for grabs in terms of who's the face. I think if you ask 100 people, you'd probably get 100 different answers. You'd probably get some Baylor, some TCU, some um, Iowa State, some maybe UCF, whoever you may ask, depending on where you ask, um, Utah as well. I think there it's up for grabs. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think I think every fan base has a reason to be confident right now. When you lose a powerhouse like Oklahoma, who won the league over and over and over again, and when you lose a brand like Texas, who <laughs> hadn't won the conference since 2009, but still right. kind of was in the conversation every year just because of who they are, uh, it does leave a huge void to be filled. I think the front runners right out of the gate are probably TCU and Kansas State, just because mm-hmm. of where they've been most recently, um, yeah. both making a New Year's Six Bowl last year, I think Oklahoma State has to be in that conversation as well. Texas Tech's trying to force their way into the conversation as much as everybody wants to just ignore them. (laughs) Yeah, everything runs through Lubbock until it doesn't, which is pretty (laughs) frequently. And, you know, Central Florida's putting together one heck of a recruiting class right now. They've got, I think, nine or ten four-stars on their their roster for 2024. And uh, everybody's kind of loading up for that race. And it's going to be really interesting to see where the chips fall. Um, but right now, I think the teams that are wearing purple on Saturdays have the advantage just because of, of what's happened most recently. What would Coach Prime and Colorado need to do? Um, obviously, they need to win games. So taking mm-hmm. that, that aside, what do they need to do to kind of, I don't want to say conquer the conference? Because I don't think the Big 12 never, outside of the seven-year stretch that Oklahoma has, um, it's never been a conference that's conquered. Um, mm-hmm. It's always like uh, Kansas State wins it one year. Um, then Baylor wins it, or T- Baylor and TCU tie, and both of them miss the playoff, unfortunately. Um, so, what did what does Colorado need to do to kind of at least be in the discussion? I think stability is really important. I mean, you look at the programs that have had the most success. I mean, TCU under Gary Patterson had the most sustained success in program's history because mm-hmm. he was here for 22 years, right? Now that Chris Kleiman's kind of established himself and has a lot of coaching stability at Kansas State, we're starting to see what they can do from a coaching standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint, and from a program building standpoint. Mike Gundy's the longest tenured coach at Oklahoma State, right? And so I think for for Dion and for that coaching staff at Colorado, it's going to be really important after this year of instability of so many transfers of trying to establish a new culture and, and, and set new expectations and all the stuff that comes with coaching change. Now's the time to establish some stability and it has to happen week one right now to say, this is the expectation every Saturday. That's never going to change. And from this moment forward, say, this is how we recruit. 
This is how we coach. This is how we build our program uh, and be unwavering in those expectations. Because once you establish those expectations and you establish some stability, you can get more out of kids because they're comfortable enough in the system to know what's coming next. They have an understanding of what's expected of them. They can go out and perform at the level that they need to perform to be competitive in the Big 12. And so uh, I think it all comes back to how stable of a program you establish, because Mm -hmm. if things are constantly in chaos, kids are not going to be able to 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 rise to the level that you'll need them to rise to. I mean, look at the chaos that we saw at Texas, right? I mean, that's the perfect example of a program that had more wealth and more recruiting resources than any other team in the country. That is not an exaggeration. They had more at their disposal than any other team in the country. And they've not been at the level of Bama or Georgia or Ohio state or Michigan or Clemson for a long time because of coaching instability, because of donor instability and general athletic department instability. Um, So if Dion can bring a culture of stability to Colorado, I think that that will go a tremendously long way to allowing them to be competitive and find themselves in the top quarter, top third of the conference more often than not. And then it's just about cycles, right? It's about getting old at the right time, catching some heat at the right time uh, and having a break or two go your way. And then all of a sudden you've got a season like TCU did in 2022. Yeah, I think people ask me all the time because I, I predicted Colorado to win five to six games. And I said, I think there's three or four teams that they're better than. And they're like, OK, what about the other two wins? I'm like, college football is never about the better team. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just got games where you you win and something happens. You get a fluke bounce or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, I need two things from you, Jamie, before we go. One, uh, do you maybe a score prediction or maybe like an over under type of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, does Colorado cover or does TCU cover? And then tell the people where they could find you and your work. Uh, yeah. So score prediction, again, a lot of, a lot of unknowns going into this matchup, but I do mm-hmm. think, uh, the 20 point spread feels about right. Okay. I wouldn't be shocked to see TCU win somewhere around like 35 to 14, somewhere in that range feels right to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Shador gets a couple, maybe a long run for a touchdown, get he and Travis Hunter beat the secondary once or twice to get some big gains, maybe a score. Um, but ultimately I think, the going back to program stability, just TCU's program being established at this point, kind of where it is, that kind of wins out in the end. Um, and as far as my work goes, uh, 24-7 sports at hornfrogblitz.com. That's where you can find all my written work. I've got a podcast called Frogs Insider where you guys can go listen wherever you get your podcast to. Uh, and you can follow me on all my socials at Frog Preacher. Okay, and will the Hypnotoad be making uh, a comeback this year, or is that just it, a one-time thing? It will absolutely be there. See, the Hypnotoad wasn't just a one-time thing last year either. They've been okay. rolling that thing out there for like the last four or five seasons, and so it caught up. It caught, it caught up. you know, the program starts winning. Yeah. Oh, hey, okay, yeah. So now this is a fun thing to latch on to. <laughs> so the Hypnotoad okay. will be there in full force. So prepare your Colorado minds for that. I hope nobody smokes too much stuff before you get into the game, <laughs> or that might be a problem. That might be a trip. The Hypnotoad might mess someone <laughs> up. Um, Jamie, yeah. I appreciate you for coming on. Um, this podcast, like all of them, are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow. Um, we appreciate you guys, and you guys have a great day.